You are listening to audio provided by FBC Farwell. To find more resources or to donate to this ministry, please check out fbcfarwell.org. If you have your Bibles, if you're here with us this morning or if you're watching us uh, on, uh, online, grab your Bible and turn with me to Isaiah chapter 9. Isaiah chapter 9. This morning I've entitled the message, Christmas Means Hope. Christmas means hope. Last week I talked about Christmas means peace. Today, Christmas means hope. Next week, I'm going to talk about Christmas means a baby. Uh, We'll get there next week, God willing, but I want to talk about hope this morning. Now, a couple of weeks ago, a month or so ago, I did a a small little series on hope, and and I believe it is uh, still very timely for us to talk about hope, especially in this Christmas uh, season. Uh, I believe uh, hope is waning for a lot of people uh, right here in our own community and literally all around the world, and we need to be reminded, brothers and sisters in Christ, that we have hope in Jesus Christ and Christmas Being the birth of Jesus Christ means this. Christmas means hope. Isaiah chapter 9, starting in verse 1. My goal this morning is I want, uh, I want to teach you this text from its context. And then I want to ask the question, um, if Jesus is the Messiah, uh, does he have the authority to say all that Jesus says? I know that probably for the majority of the people that will be listening to me this morning, that's, that's already a given. But I want us to be reminded by the Word of God that Jesus is the Messiah. Isaiah chapter 9 is a prophecy. There's two prophecies in Isaiah chapter 9 uh, regarding uh, Jesus. Uh, we're going to look at those. This is a very common text that is preached around the Christmas season. And sometimes it can, uh, uh, like Psalm 23 at a funeral, can just become rote. And we miss the richness. We miss the beauty, especially in the context of when it was written. And I want to share that with us this morning. I want to teach us that this morning. This is a message of hope by the prophet Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 9 verse 1 says this, nevertheless, which would lead you to go, well, what is he talking about nevertheless? Uh, if, if you was to go back and start in Isaiah chapter 9, you would see a little bit more, uh, you would see the context of that word nevertheless. But we get a, a small little glimpse in the next phrase, nevertheless, the gloom of the distressed land. Look at what Isaiah is talking. Look who he's talking. He's talking to a a group of people who are fearful, who are distressed, who are down and out, who are depressed, who have no hope of their future. And this Isaiah is preaching, he is speaking a message of hope into this group of people. Nevertheless, the gloom of the distressed land will not be like that of the former times. When he, he being God, when God humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. And I'll unpack that here in just a moment. But in the future, notice, notice he's already, the, 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 uh, it's not going to be like it was. But in the future, here's his message of hope. God will bring honor 
to the way of the sea. He's, he, here's, here's the first prophecy, pro, uh, prophecy of Jesus. He will bring honor to the way of the sea, to the land east of the Jordan, and to Galilee of the nations. This is when Jesus uh, went to the Sea of Galilee, and he did the majority of his teaching and preaching uh, there in Capernaum, just east to the Sea of Galilee. Look at verse 2. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. A light has dawned on those living in the land of darkness. God, you have enlarged the nation and increased its joy. The people have rejoiced before you as they rejoice at harvest time and as they rejoice when dividing spoils. For you, God, have shattered their oppressive yoke. That's sin. The oppressive yoke is sin on mankind. You, God, have shattered their oppressive yoke and the rod on their shoulders. That's the law, the law that was heavy on their shoulders. God has shattered it, the staff of their oppressors, just as you, you being God, did on the day of Midian. And I'm going to talk about that here in just a moment briefly. I'll unpack that. Verse 5, For every trampling boot of battle and the bloodied garments of war will be burned as fuel for the fire. And here's the verse that we hear so often at Christmas time, and I don't want want us to miss it for a child will be born for us circle or underline underscore that word for for is the reasoning it's the rationale for all of Isaiah's hope that he is preaching and teaching to the people for a child will be born for us a son will be given to us and the government will be on his shoulders he will be named Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. Let's go to the Father and pray. Father, we ask that you would speak to us this morning through your holy word. God, help us to see that this is your word for us today. God, may we be encouraged by your word. May we be strengthened by your word. May we be steadied by your word. May, we, may our hope even increase more today by your holy word. God, I pray that you would, only, you would do what only you can do by the power of the Holy Spirit. Father, I pray that you would bless those that are here, bless those that are watching online, and help us, help us apply this message to our own life. It's in your son's precious and holy name I pray. Amen. Hope is incredibly important to our heart, to, the, to our health. Hope. And it is waning today. Without hope, there is little reasoning, human reasoning, if you will, to continue on. Hope often is, or a lack of hope is often a roadblock for, any, for, for, other, for people who are struggling with it to, to move a step forward. I found these two quotes, one of them by Orson Martin. He is the founder of Success Magazine. And I don't know if you know this or not, but Success Magazine uh, was started in 1897 by this fellow Orson Martin. Listen to what he says. There is no medicine like hope. No incentive so great, no tonic so powerful as the expectation of something better tomorrow. Orson Martin. Here's another one by a pastor, Neil Strait. Listen to what he says. He says, take from a man his wealth and you will hinder him. Take from him his purpose and you will slow him down. But take from man his hope and you stop him. 
He can go on without wealth and even without purpose for a while, but he will not go on without hope. Pretty, pretty powerful quotes about hope. At this present time, there's a lot of hopelessness in our families. There's a lot of hopelessness in our community. There's a lot of hopelessness in our nation and literally around the world. Uh, the, the reason for this is before our eyes and in our ears 24-7 by the, by the news media, by the conversations that we have. It's, it seems to be in everything that we see. Every element of every conversation seems to be about what is going on in our nation politically, what's going on with COVID, what's, what's going on, fear, fear for uh, just what's going on politically in our nation. Those are all serious issues without any question. And if it's any consolation, and I don't want to make light of what's going on by making this statement. I don't want to make light of what's going on currently by making this next statement. But hopelessness is an emotion that people have struggled with for generations and generations all Throughout time. Now, listen, just because people, generations have struggled with it all throughout time doesn't give us an excuse. It doesn't give us a, uh, uh, a right of, uh, uh, of, of just, well, I'm just going to be hopeless then because people have always struggled with this. No, listen, just because it is there, just because historically it has been there, does not mean we have to live hopeless. That's what Isaiah is trying to say here by, by giving these two prophecies about. about Jesus. Despair has always been present in every generation. And this morning in our text, we read, uh, we read about a time in the life of ancient Israel when things looked incredibly hopeless. Uh, when, when, when an army has, has come against them and they are destroying them, things look extremely hopeless. And Isaiah references the, over, the overthrow of these two northern tribes of Israel. They've suffered an assault by the king of Assyria. And they're hopeless. In their deepest season of hopelessness, Isaiah preaches, he teaches, he shares a word of hope. At their deepest, darkest moment, Isaiah has been commissioned by God. He has been sent by God, just like Christians have been today, to preach and teach and share a message of hope. And that is exactly what he is doing. Look back at verse 1 through 2. Here he is, the, these, these two tribes of Israel are being, being overtaken by the Assyrian uh, government and, and they, just, they think that it is over, it is, everything is going to be wiped out, their world is just going to end as they know it and listen to what Isaiah says. Nevertheless, the gloom of the distressed land, that's the hopelessness will not be like that of the former times. You see, listen, this, this, these two tribes, at one time, God had, God had poured out punishment on them, and He had let the king of Assyria overthrow them and be underneath their rule. And Isaiah is like, no, 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 listen. 
It's not going to be like the former times when he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. When, when God did that, when God humbled you because of your sin, when, when God humbled you because of your idolatry. No, it's not going to be like that. But in the future, God will bring honor to the way of the sea, to the land east of the Jordan, and to Galilee of the nations. Now, Here's, here's what I want you to see. Isaiah has been sent by God to preach a message of hope. And this does breathe hope into them. But the fulfillment of this prophecy is 700 years to come. The fulfillment of this prophecy is 700 years to come. Does that give them hope? Yes. Does that, does that breathe life into them? Absolutely. Just like it should breathe life into us that, that there is a time coming. We don't know exactly when it was. And when Isaiah is, is preaching this message to, uh, to the people there, they, they have no idea that it's another 700 years to come. But it is coming. A Messiah is coming. That's Isaiah's message. And to us, our hope is a Messiah is returning. Verse 2, he says this, The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. A light has dawned on those living in the land of darkness. And then Isaiah, he praises God for this newfound hope by giving two metaphors describing the reaction or, or what the coming celebration is going to be like. Look at verse 3. Here's, here's this Here's this praising God, and here's, the, here's the, the way that the people are going to respond. Verse 3, you, God, underscore this, have enlarged the nation and increased its joy. Looking back, we're able to look back and see that, that Jesus Christ didn't just come from the Jews, but He also came for the Gentiles. You have increased this nation. The people, underscore this, have rejoiced before you, God, and here's the, here's the metaphor, as they rejoice at harvest time. Now, I know that we are in a, in a farming community, so we definitely understand the rejoicing of harvest time when, when it's been a great year and the rains fell at the right time and the sun beat down at the right time. Everything was just perfect and it's a bountiful harvest and there is praise. Um, man, I'll, I'll never forget when I first moved here back in 02, my first, uh, my first tour duty, uh, if you will, my first trip uh, to Farwell. And, um, and, and I remember uh, sitting around a table and there was a bunch of farmers there talking about it, it had rained and how good it was that it rained. And I never heard guys talk in such loving, compassionate words about rain. And, I, I, and then I finally realized that when it rains, they get to turn the sprinklers off. When they turn the sprinklers off, their electric bill goes way down. It's beautiful. It's a beautiful thing. Harvest, they, they rejoice at harvest time. And as they rejoice when dividing the spoils, when, they, when a military, when an army would go in, they would take over a land and they would divide up the spoils. It was a celebration. It was a moment of celebrating. Verse 4, look at this. For you, God, have shattered their oppressive yoke and the rod on their shoulders, the staff of their oppressors, just as you, God, did on the day of Midian. Now here's, remember, I'm wanting to teach you this text in the context 
I don't, I don't want us just to jump to verse 6 and, and be excited that a child is being born. I want you to see how Isaiah is pouring hope into them in a very hopeless time. So I want you to take note of this. Isaiah is speaking into their gloom and distress with such confidence and assurance. He is using the present and past tense verbs as if God's actions have already taken place. Isaiah is talking, he doesn't know when it's going to take place, but it's, we know now looking back, it's 700 years later, but Isaiah is saying it as if it is already happening at that very moment, or it has already happened, past tense. Verse 2, he says, they have seen. Verse 2 again, it has dawned. You have enlarged the nations. You have rejoiced, or they are rejoicing before you. They have shattered. You have shattered. Where does Isaiah, how, how can he speak like this with such confidence? With such assurance, when everything around him says that Isaiah should just jump in and be hopeless as well. So jump in and just be doom and gloom. It's all over. Where does the confidence, where does the assurance come from? Is it just some pie in the sky, baseless claim with no merit? We hear that today, right? We hear people giving some baseless claims that have absolutely no merit. And a lot of times they attach God's name on the back of it. And say things like, well, God told me this, but it didn't come out of here. Baseless. Is Isaiah doing that? No. Is Isaiah just naming and claiming to motivate the people? Is he, is he just seeing a people that a group of people who are just struggling and he wants, to, he wants to motivate them and kind of lift their spirits? No, that's not what he's doing. Isaiah has a confident assurance based on the faithfulness of God. Where do I get that at? It's found in verse 4. Look again at verse 4. It's in the latter part of verse 4, but I want us to take a running start at it. Look what he says. Verse 4, for you, God, have shattered their oppressive yoke and the rod on their shoulders, the staff of their oppressors. And here it is. You ready? Just as you did on the day of Midian. Just as you did on the day of Midian. Isaiah is pointing back to God's faithfulness. Now remember... This prophecy, looking back, we're able to say, man, that, ha- that didn't happen for another 700 years. But here's what, here's what Isaiah is doing. He is looking back 400 years from this prophecy to an event that happened that proved that God was faithful. If you want to read about the event, read in Judges chapter 6, verse 7. I wish I had time to go through it, but we don't have time this morning. But just go back through and read. It's a quick read. It's a great story in Judges 6 and 7. God was faithful to deliver the nation of Israel from the oppressive hand of the Midianites with Gideon as its leader and a handful of military men. That's the story. That God was able to deliver the nation of Israel. And he is saying, just as God did some 400 years ago, he is going to do 
for us. God is a God of redemption. So not only does Isaiah reach back to the faithfulness of God to redeem His people, in verse 6, the key text, the most familiar text, Isaiah is reaching forward, if you will. He's reached back to the faithfulness of God. And because God has been faithful in the past, He can with confidence and assurance say that this is what God is going to do. This is what God has told me on the authority of God. This is what He is going to do. So He is reaching forward of a coming Redeemer. God has been a Redeemer in the past. He is going to be a Redeemer in the future. And there is going to be a King who will be like no other kings we have ever had. Isaiah chapter 9 verse 6 that word for this is the rationale Isaiah is pouring hope into these people he has a, he has a message of hope he has a message to encourage he has a message to, to strengthen them and, and where does that come from here it is it's the word for I, I know that maybe you have thought that word for is just a long note to sing in that song for Unto us a child is... We're supposed to laugh at that. I thought that in my mind, it was like, that was going to be funny. For unto us a child is born, right? We know the song, right? There's a purpose behind that word. It's the rationale behind everything that he has just said. For a child will be born for us. This is why we can have hope. This is why the people are going to rejoice. This is why the people are going to be celebrating. This is why the people who were walking in darkness are now walking in light. This is why a small nation is now going to be a large nation. Why? Because a child will be born for us. We celebrate that today, right? His name is Jesus. Christmas means hope. Uh, Here's Isaiah preaching a message of hope. And his hope comes from a child is going to be born for us. We don't know when it's going to happen, but a child, based on the faithfulness of God, a child will be born for us. A son will be given to us. And the government will be on his shoulders. He will be named Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. Here we have in verse 6, four descriptions revealing the character of a coming Redeemer. In Isaiah chapter 4, he is saying, based on the faithfulness of God. You remember what happened at the day of of Midian? Uh, Judges chapter 6 verse 7. The the people would have known that. Those stories would have been passed down from generation to generation. Even though it had been 400 years, they had said, oh yeah, we remember how God took this small army and He defeated the people. He defeated the Midianites who were coming against, against God's people. Oh, we we remember how God took something so unlikely, like this small little group of of fighters, and defeated the mighty warriors warriors of the Midianites. Yes, we, we remember the character of God. We remember the faithfulness of God. Now Isaiah is saying, the Messiah, this coming one, this child who's going to be born for us. He's going to be a a wonderful counselor. Wise. Exceptional counselor. Of His Father's Word. Jesus is going to speak what God tells Him to speak. He He is going to do what God has called Him to do. He is going to be a living example of who God is and God's purpose. And here's the key. 
for us. He's going to be a wonderful counselor for us. He is a mighty God. This characteristic reveals his authority. His authority, it reveals his power. It reveals his supremacy over us. A child is going to be born. He's going to be a a mighty God. He's going to be supreme over us. He's going to be eternal father. His forever presence, he will never leave us. He will be with us. The fourth characteristic is this prince of peace. He is the source of peace. And we talked about that last week. This child that's going to be born for us, given to us, will be the source of peace for us. Now think about that. Think about that written in the time that it is being written in. When it is hopeless, when it is dark, when it seems like there is no tomorrow whatsoever, Isaiah has been given a word by God and he preaches this message of hope. And it is about this child who is going to be born. Oh, listen, hope is not a pipe dream. The sovereignty of God is not just in heaven. He is the king of kings in heaven and on earth. Why do I say that? Because I believe sometimes we think about God only being active in heaven. God is only good once we get to heaven. No, listen, God is good today here on earth. And he is the king of kings, not only of heaven, but he is the king of kings here on earth. And so it leads us to the question. That's the prophecy of Jesus. Child will be born. We celebrate that in the Christmas season. Is Jesus this child who has been born for us? If He is, then how can we be hopeless children of God? We can't. We shouldn't. Isaiah is is breathing. He is teaching. He's preaching a message of hope into one of the most hopeless situations. And he is saying, here's how we get out of this hopelessness. A child is going to be born for us. Well, that child has been born. And if Jesus is this child, then brothers and sisters in Christ, people who call themselves children of God, we cannot live hopeless. We should not live hopeless. There are over 300 prophecies of a coming Messiah found in the Old Testament. All throughout the Old Testament, from Genesis to Malachi, there's prophecy after prophecy after prophecy of a coming Messiah. Jesus of Nazareth has fulfilled every single one of them. Not just a few, but every single one of them. Some that he knew about, The majority of them he didn't even know about. Like Jesus couldn't uh, plan where he was going to be born. Jesus didn't name himself. And many, many, many others. Hundreds of others. I don't know if you've ever read or if you've heard about the classic book, Science Speaks by Peter Stoner. Uh, It's been quoted in several Christian apologetic books. um, Probably the most... Uh, famous, the most notable, I guess, would be Josh McDowell's book, Evidence That Demands a Verdict. Verdict. Um, I want you to watch this 
little video clip. Um, it's, it's, uh, it's set in the scene of Schoolhouse Rock. Uh, if you remember Schoolhouse Rock. Uh, and it takes a very complex issue and it makes it very simple for us to, us to understand. Watch this video and then I'm going to come back up and close. Imagine you are given a goose that lays golden eggs. Scrap that. A magical guitar. No, an enchanted Hummer. And you are told that if you drive that enchanted Hummer, you will be more attracted to girls and you will be able to rocket to the moon. Now you can believe and believe and believe in that enchanted Hummer and that it will bring you the chicks and the lunar experience. But if it doesn't deliver, then it must not be true. doesn't matter how much you believe it. If it proves to be false, it is false, right? Right. But what about the flip side? If something can be proven absolutely true to actually accomplish the amazing things it says it will do, then it must be real. Must be real. Whether you believe it or not. I guess so. You guess so? Absolutely. Let's say, for instance, Jesus Christ is the Son of the one true God, the only way to God. I don't believe that. But have you weighed all the evidence? Evidence? Who needs evidence? All I need is to believe in what I believe. But believing doesn't make what you believe true. And if it's not true, what you believe can't be real. What's true is really true. That's where the evidence comes in. Christ's offer to turn you into a new person is real if his claim to be God is true. So let's consider the evidence of eight prophecies proving his claim is true. Do you know what the probability factor is of only eight prophecies being fulfilled in Jesus? No. One in ten to the seventeenth power. One in ten to the seventeenth power. Huh? That's one in ten to this many times. I don't get it. If you were to take ten to the seventeenth power, Girl Scout Thin Mint cookies. How many? That's over a quintillion cookies. And spread them across the state of Texas. They would cover every inch of the state and form a pile of Girl Scout Thin Mint cookies two feet deep. That's a lot of Thin Mints. A whole lot of Thin Mints. Now take one more Thin Mint and lick all the chocolate off, toss it into that pile, and stir the whole thing up. Blindfold yourself, walk the entire state from Amarillo to Laredo, stopping just once to stoop down and pick a single blind Thin Mint cookie. Got it. Take off the blindfold. Aw, nuts. The chances of you picking the chocolateless cookie is the same as the chance that one person could have fulfilled just eight prophecies about Jesus in one lifetime. That's crazy. It's unthinkable. But Jesus Christ did not fulfill eight prophecies in one lifetime. Whoa. He fulfilled over 300. 300, just one day. The prophecies are historically documented. The facts that actually happened to Jesus are historically documented. There's only one thing left to do. I know. For me to weigh 
the evidence. It's all part of the evidence. Because if it is true that he is the son of God, what he offers you, a new life in him, is real. Now I know it's real whether I believed it or not. It's all part of the evidence. That's absolutely incredible. Jesus is the promised Messiah. Without any question, Jesus is the promised Messiah. In John chapter 14, verse 6, John chapter 14, verse 6, Jesus makes this bold statement. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Now listen, the only way that Jesus can make that statement is to be the Messiah. The only way that that can have any validity whatsoever is if Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. He is the Savior of the world. Let me ask you this. If, if you were in a house, you were asleep, it happened in the middle of the night, the house was just consumed with flames. You want a fireman to come in and to save you, right? I mean, you, and when that fireman came in and saved you and pulled you out of that house safely, you would, you would praise him, you would honor him, you would, you would give him thanks. And some of you that can bake would bake like, you know, dozens of cookies for the whole firehouse and take them to him, right? If you were at a bank, and um, you are depositing in your money. You just happen to be the wrong place at the, or the right place at the wrong time. And, and someone comes in and they were to, 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 to rob the bank and they come in, guns just blazing and you're, and you're there at the teller and, and they tell everyone to get down. And, and what do you want? You want a policeman or a policewoman to come in and, and, and to rescue you and to get you out of that situation. And, and as that policeman, policewoman came in and rescued you, you would, and you would give them praise. You would give them thanks for rescuing you. You were out in the middle of the ocean, um, shark-infested ocean, and your and your boat started to go down. And you get on the radio and you start hollering "Mayday, Mayday, Mayday!" And all of a sudden, a helicopter comes out, and 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 it's the Coast Guard, and they lay down one of those baskets. I don't ever want to drown in the ocean. I don't ever want to be like shipwrecked in the ocean, but I do want to ride in one of those baskets. Wouldn't that be cool? But the, the basket is let down and, 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 and you're put in the basket and you're, and you're rescued out of those shark-infested waters. Oh, you're going to give praise. You're going to give glory to the, to the Coast Guard. Listen, we are drowning in sin without Christ. The Bible says we've all sinned. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. And, and without Christ, we are, we are drowning. And a rescuer has been sent. Isaiah is saying, listen, a redeemer is coming. A rescuer, a rescuer is coming. And a child is to be born. We, are no, we know him today as Jesus Christ. He is the way, the truth, and the life. No one gets to the Father except through him. He is our Savior. And listen, we need to be saved. 
Now, here's, here's the problem with, with the three analogies that I just gave you. We can learn to be a fireman. We can learn to be a policeman. We can learn those skills. We can, uh, we can, we can do that. We can learn to be, uh, you know, a co- coast guardsman. I'm not sure if that's the right phraseology, but you know what I'm saying. We can learn those. But, but listen, we can't learn to be a savior. Hear me when I say this. There's a, a lot of people who are trying to learn how to be a savior of themselves. We can't save ourselves. By our church attendance, it won't save us. Our family origin will not save us. Our giving will not, will not save us. Our, our living a moral, upright life will not save us. And we can try to add on top of our character, you know, just a better character. We can try to be more godly as much as we can possibly. We can try to, you know, stop all of the, uh, you know, the, 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 the bad sins, you know, but the, you know, the gray ones, they're okay. But the bad ones, we'll, we'll quit those, all of those. And hopefully, 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 just hopefully, when I die, I will do more good things than when I do bad things. Listen, you're trying to be your own savior and you can't be. You can't be. You need a savior and the savior's name is Jesus Christ. Isaiah prophesied about him 700 years before he was ever born and Jesus Christ has been born and he has gone to the cross to die for you. He has gone to the grave. He has taken death. He has has sealed death. We no longer have to die spiritually, eternally. He has been risen from the grave so that you and I can have life. If you're here this morning and you've just maybe the Holy Spirit has just placed it on your heart that you've been trying to be your own Savior today, let today be the day that you say, oh, I need this Jesus Christ. I need a Savior and I can't do it. Then let today be the day that you say yes to Man, there's many in here this morning and there's many that are watching online that you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, but, but for a while you've, you've kind of left Him off to the side. You've been, been doing your own saving work or been attempting to, and it's just left, led you to some hopelessness. Oh, may you be reminded today that Christmas means hope. Savior has been born. And His name is Jesus. And we get to celebrate it every single year at this time. Let's do that. Thank you for joining us for worship at FBC Farwell. If you made a decision for Christ, please let us know by contacting Pastor Russ at russ at fbcfarwell.org. We would love to connect with you and walk alongside you in your faith journey. We have some great resources to send you that will help you grow in your faith. As we close, I want to say thank you for listening today. If God leads you to give to the ministry of FBC Farwell, you can text FBC Farwell to the number 77977. Thank you for your generosity.